0: lollies and all of that sort of stuff and she, there'd be a bowl of lollies on the table and she had no idea what it was so you know that, that was uh, we, we she'd just ignore it but then the moment came you <laughs> know you know what i'm talking about right uh, uh the moment came and i can't remember who did it but at some point some rogue piece of chocolate made its way into her mouth and her world changed forever right <laughs> you know everything changed and would never be the same and if you have more than one kid uh, you don't even try it, right? By the time the third comes around, you're sort of cho- shoving chocolate in their mouth from day one. You know? <laughs> but some discoveries change the world forever for an individual, don't they, for a person? Uh, other discoveries change the world uh, for have a broader impact. Uh, and you'll know, we could rattle off a long list of those sort of accidental discoveries that have just changed history. Um, I remember hearing about you know, the story of Archimedes in the bath going up and down and discovering the water come up and down. And that was his discovery of... Someone can tell me what, but I just remember the story, right? <laughs> uh, a whole list of other discoveries that, were, that someone had come across accidentally that have just changed the way we see the world, changed the way we experience the world. Well, Luke 24, our passage today, it tells of an incredible, incredible discovery, doesn't it? Uh, it changed everything. But it changed everything not just for the people who discovered it, not just for a few hundred years afterwards, the claim of this discovery was unthinkably big. <laughs> it was huge. Uh, and it would make every other discovery sort of pale into insignificance compared to how big this discovery was. If you have an outline there, you'll see on the back cover of the outline a bit of an a, a, a indication of where we're going in the sermon, so you might find that helpful to have in front of you. But if you've got your passage open, that will be even more helpful uh, if you want to open your Bibles... To Luke 24, and it was a Sunday morning. It was a Sunday morning like no other that we read of at the start of chapter 24. We're told a group of women got up very early in the morning, and so right from the start, you think this isn't a normal Sunday morning, especially not. It's not a, a normal long weekend Sunday morning. Very early in the morning, the children awoke, for it was daylight savings had finished. <laughs> No, it it wasn't just that it was an early Sunday morning for these women. Of course, this Sunday was like no other Sunday because it came on the end of a week like no other. A week like no other. The women we know from the story were followers of Jesus, uh, that wandering Jewish prophet who had said and done unbelievable, amazing, incredible things, things that only God could say and do. He'd made... Ridiculous claims. Uh, he'd claimed that all of God's plans for his whole creation were coming true in him, that he was the king of God's eternal kingdom. He'd shown compassion, to, uh, compassion and kindness to weak and anxious people. He'd done things that they thought were impossible. He'd healed sick people, he'd raised dead people, he'd walked on water, he'd turned upside down everything they knew about the world. And just two days before this early Sunday morning, after a week of confusion and turmoil, this man that they had such hopes for was cruelly beaten, spat on, tortured and executed. The Lord of life died. Well, the story goes on, and for Jewish people, Saturdays, that was on Friday, uh, Saturdays were set apart as a day of rest, so we read that these women Arrested on the Sabbath, on the Saturday, and it must have been a long wait, right, that Saturday. So the first chance they have on Sunday morning, they get up early in the morning to the place where they knew Jesus had been buried. They would prepared spices and perfumes to go and anoint the body as a sign of respect for the dead and also to cover up the stench of decay as the dead body decomposed. So as soon as they're able to, they get up early in the morning. They walk to the tomb. And imagine I'd say, that, what, well, what would have been that. What would that walk have been like? <laughs> imagine that walk. All the grief and confusion. Uh, wondering, wondering what state Jesus' battered body would be in when they got there. It's a scene that's full of suspense. And I imagine that their confusion would just have got worse and worse and worse as they got to the tomb where Jesus had been laid. They find this huge stone that would, had covered the entrance to the tomb was rolled away. Not only that, they enter the tomb, and Jesus' body is gone. It's nowhere to be found. They're at a loss. They can't explain it. And it seems that they're weak from horror. <laughs> it just got worse again, right? They're weak from horror. It just got worse. And then, suddenly, in verse 4, if you've got your Bible open there, suddenly... Uh, While they're trying to figure out what's going on, what had happened to their Lord, what had happened to Jesus, suddenly two men appear right beside them. And we're told that their clothes were like lightning. Uh, Late last year, I don't know if you remember, there was a huge lightning storm that went over Adelaide, went over the whole region. Uh, I was driving with my family between Goolwa and Mount Barker at the time, right through the middle of this storm. It was Unbelievable! It was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had of lightning. We sort of, you know, we almost turned around several times. We were surrounded by constant bursts of light and sound. And it was, it was terrifying. The, the kids would normally have been far, long asleep by that point. They were sort of sitting in the back, wide-eyed, <laughs> freaking out about all this light that was going on around them. And you can understand why. Well, you see, lightning... Lightning is a terrifying thing when you encounter it close up, right? This combination of intense light and burning heat. You can understand why these women fell to the ground when they faced these men dressed with lightning. These women knew that they were angels, messengers from God, not sort of um, cute little cherubs floating around in clouds, Fierce warriors of light, God's messengers to his world. And anyone in their right mind would have done just what these women did. But then these angels speak to the women. So they're on the ground, they're terrified, and then the angels speak. And it's so great, isn't it? You can almost kind of see that hint of a smile on the face of the angel as it says says their wonderful question. They, you see, uh, they talk to the women looking for Jesus, the, but the angels, they know the secret. They know where Jesus is, and they have wonderful news. They know about another light, another light that shines so brightly that even their sort of lightning clothes is like a, you know, a match compared to the sunlight compared to this light. So they ask their wonderful question in verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? You're after Jesus, right? So what are you doing looking in a place for dead people? <laughs> and it, Now, we need to clarify what's going on here. It wasn't as if Jesus wasn't really dead, you know, as, as if he didn't actually die on Good Friday, if it was all just a, 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 a bit of a joke or a, a cover-up. He wasn't pretending to be dead. Now, the Romans who had crucified a, a Jesus, the Romans were death experts, right? <laughs> they were death experts, Uh, And they knew how to kill people good and proper. Jesus was well and truly dead, dead and buried. And of course, the women, I mean, the women were right, weren't they? They were right to go to the tomb to look for Jesus. His body really was broken. His heart really had stopped beating. He was dead as a doornail. The women were in exactly the right place to find Jesus, But, of course, the angels know something that the women don't. Look at there in verse 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And then the angels go on. You see, of course, of course, on one level, the women were right. You know what I mean? Like, they they were right to look at the tomb for Jesus. He really had died. Of course they were right. But on another level... They were wrong. They were hugely wrong. None of this was a defeat for Jesus, an unexpected failure that caught him by surprise. Jesus knew what was going to happen, and he'd even told them about it. Uh, You can read that through the Gospels. If you're interested, chapter 9, we read Jesus telling his disciples that this would happen. Uh, And uh, the angels say it again here in verse 7, The Son of Man, one of Jesus' favourite ways of talking about himself, The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Of course, the women were right to look, but they were so wrong, weren't they? To look for Jesus among the dead? The women remember what Jesus had said, and I imagine they run back. (laughs) They go back to the disciples and tell them the incredible news. But then you can see there, uh, from verse 9 onwards, it's strange what happens, isn't it? They, they have this incredible news from the angels, uh, but they get a real mixed reception. They get a really mixed reception from the disciples. They tell everything to the eleven, the sort of closest followers of Jesus who knew him best. Uh, but in verse 11, we read that these guys think it's nonsense. They can't believe it. They can't believe this news. Now, what's going on here? One option... Uh, one option is this is, this is just first-century sexism, right? Uh, particularly in this culture, uh, a woman's testimony was not considered legally valid. She couldn't be heard in courts. which, by the way, uh, is one of the many, many reasons to believe that this record we have in Luke's Gospel is a historically accurate one of what actually happened. You see, if a writer in the first century uh, sort of made this up and wanted it to have any credibility in his culture... Uh, he would never have had three women as the first witnesses to the resurrection. It just wouldn't have happened. The fact that these three women are so unashamedly recorded as the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection uh, is, really, is widely recognized as very strong evidence that this is a historically accurate record of accounts. Anyway, that's sort of an aside. But I think we've got to not be too quick to write off the, these 11 disciples Uh, uh, write them off as male chauvinists who didn't want to listen to a woman's testimony. I don't think that's what's going on. That's not what's going on. Uh, You see, they didn't believe what the women had said, not because they were sexist. Uh, They didn't believe what the women said because they knew, just like you know, they knew the simple fact about human existence that dead people don't get up. Dead people don't get up. They don't rise. There's a bit of a myth that you hear every now and again. Perhaps you've heard this myth that for the ancients, for people living back then, uh, they they kind of found it easy to believe in stuff like a resurrection, right? They found it easy to believe in that kind of stuff. But here in the 21st century, we're much more advanced. We know that death is just another physical process. And while belief in someone rising from the dead might have been easy to believe back then, it just doesn't cut it today. Uh, You might have heard that sort of line of argument, but friends, it is a myth. It is not true. Uh, Apart from a, a few hints in the Jewish scriptures that led up to Jesus, apart from a few hints, no one in the ancient world talked about physical resurrection from the dead. It was totally unthinkable, and it flew in the face of what everyone knew They knew, just like we know, dead people don't get up. Many ancient cultures had ideas about an afterlife, yes, or some kind of spiritual existence after death, but physical bodily resurrection, it was either kind of gross and unwanted because for the ancients the body was seen as something evil to be escaped. It was either gross and you didn't want to go there, or it was just wishful thinking. So, when the disciples don't believe the women, when they think their words are nonsense, they're just reacting like any other first century Palestinian person or any other 21st century Victor Harborian person. If that's the way you say it. Dead people stay dead, resurrections don't happen. That's what's behind their sort of disbelief of what's going on here. But then in verse 12, there's one guy, one guy, Peter. Don't you just love Peter? Throughout the Gospels, uh, he's the kind of guy who shoots first and asks questions later, right? (laughs) He blurts out what everyone else is thinking but too afraid to say. Um, It it gets him in trouble sometimes, but here it's wonderful. Peter hears this woman's story, and perhaps he remembers what Jesus had said and maybe has the faintest hope And he doesn't sit sit down, stay seated and sort of analyse the probabilities. He doesn't put together a task force to sort of uh, check out what had happened to Jesus' Jesus body. He doesn't play it cool and casually stroll over to the tomb to check out, no, what does he do? He's up. (laughs) He's out the door and he's running. He runs to the tomb. And it's just like the women said just like the women said. Only this time in verse 12, you can see there, we're told this really curious detail uh, about the strips of linen lying by themselves. It wasn't just that Jesus was gone. The material that he was wrapped in when he died, uh, that was itself lying discarded on the floor. So Peter goes away amazed, wondering what had happened. You get the sense that the light is starting to dawn for Peter. Well, it was an incredible discovery that these women and Peter made on that first Easter morning. Friends, we need to ask the question ourselves, and it's an important question to ask, so what? So what? What if this is true? What if Jesus was raised from the dead? Weird stuff happens, right? Uh, A survey released just last week by the MacRindle Research Institute found that 21% of Australians are confident that Jesus rose from the dead and a further 26% are open to the possibility that it actually happened. Altogether, about half the people in this country are either confident or open to the possibility that Jesus physically rose from the dead. But even then, so what? Why didn't Peter hear the news and think, yeah, I can believe that, but it's not really going to have much of an impact on my life? Why, why was he up and running to the tomb? It wasn't just that he believed in the fact of the resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't just that he believed that it happened in history. It was the significance of that fact that got Peter on his feet. The significance of that fact. You see, for Peter, this wasn't just an interesting thing that had happened. It had incredible world-changing significance. And the key to all this, uh, you can see we sort of skipped over it earlier, but if you look at verse 7, the key to that significance is a little word that the angels report Jesus having said in verse 7, the little word, must. Jesus had said that he must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day, be raised again. See, if Jesus is going to believe, and frankly, friends, let's face it, if we're going to believe anyone, you know, Jesus is probably a good good person to start with. If Jesus is going to be believed, his death and resurrection, it wasn't some random accent of history. But it was the centre point of all history. I mean, it's such a remarkable, incredible claim that it's worth saying. It's not... Jesus' death and resurrection, according in his own frame of mind, was the centre point of all history. It had to happen. In the long sweep of the Bible's story, Jesus' death and resurrection was the fulfilment of God's great and loving plan. His great plan to bring restoration and forgiveness to his broken and rebellious world. He was handed over to sinful people, people who reject God's loving rule for their lives, who insist on run, running lives their own way. People, actually, that sounds kind of like me, people like you and me. But in an incredible twist, in allowing himself to be killed by sinners, he was saving sinners taking the punishment that they rightly deserved for their rejection of God, taking it on himself so that they could be forgiven and restored to their creator. See, here in in Jesus' death and resurrection, the claim that he's making is the entire story of God and the world has reached its wonderful climax. That's why Jesus' resurrection had Peter up on his feet, out the door, running to the tomb. But friends, the claim of Easter isn't just that the story uh, of God and the world has come to its climax in in what Jesus did uh, on the cross and three days later in the empty tomb. It's not just that. You see, the claim of Easter is that your story also has its fulfillment in Jesus. If we understand Easter properly, we can't keep it at a distance. We can't keep it at arm's length. See, Easter, friends, Easter says that each one of us are more deeply stained by our sin and rebellion and brokenness and enslavement, more willingly rebellious than we're ever, we could ever admit. <laughs> uh, our rebellion was so deep it sent the Son of Man, Jesus himself, to the cross. But Easter says at the same time that each of us, each one of us, are more loved and treasured by God than we could hope for. You see, not only was it our sin that put him on the cross, it was God's love for sinful people like you and I. It was God's love that put Jesus on the cross. So I just want to finish today, friends, by... I guess extending a kind of invitation uh, to invite everyone, to invite us all to wonder this morning, kind of like what Peter did, maybe for the hundredth time or perhaps uh, maybe just for the very first time, to wonder at this news that Jesus is risen. Maybe you're in you know those categories that the research found. Maybe you're not in the I definitely agree that this is true, but maybe you're in that I'm open to the possibility sort of group Maybe you're not even there yet, but m- maybe uh, you're sort of open to being open to the possibility, if you know what I mean. Uh, over the next two weeks here at Trinity South Coast, we're going to continue reading this story in Luke 24. Uh, and, we, uh, and we get to hear from the risen Jesus himself, and that's, that's going to be great. Uh, we get to hear how Jesus set his disciples' hearts on fire, and how he gave them something incredible and eternal to live for. So, uh, particularly if that's you, if you're uh, open to Jesus' resurrection, or maybe even if you're just open to being open, (laughs) if you're not even there yet, uh, this would be a great place to come next week and the week after to keep exploring the significance of the resurrection, not only for this world, but for you. See, my hope is that we'll see uh, that the news of Jesus' death and resurrection will see that as this incredible great outworking of God's plan to save his world. And my hope is that as we see that, we'll come to experience that as a life-giving and a transforming power in us. Because, friends, God invites you, (laughs) invites us all, into his plan. Jesus holds out to us forgiveness and life. He calls us to live with the resurrect His resurrection as the centre not only of world history but of my history. And if that's true, it is unspeakably good news. It is good news for the world. It is good news for the south coast. It is good news for broken and rebellious people like you and me. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we we marvel at the incredible riches of your grace that you sent your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, into this world, this world that had rejected you, to suffer and to die and to rise again so that we might receive forgiveness and new life. Father, please impress this upon us. I pray that... uh, wherever we're at this morning, we'll hear this great news and respond with thanks and wonder and praise. We pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.